Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Holly Framstead about pursuing a strength-based career. When you approach your career from a place of skill and self-awareness, how can it ignite your success and help you thrive? Holly Framstead is a head of ETFs at Capital Group, home of the American Funds. Prior to joining Capital, Holly was a managing director and head of U.S. ETF product segments at BlackRock, where she was responsible for leading the development and commercialization of BlackRock's Factor, Sustainable, and Megatrend ETFs for U.S. investors. Before that, she held various strategic product development roles within iShares. Holly received a bachelor's degree in psychology from UCLA and holds her CFA designation. Holly lives in Redondo Beach, California with her husband and two children, age seven and four. She enjoys endurance athletics and spending time at the beach with her family. I am pleased to welcome Holly Framstead to We Talk Careers podcast. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Christine. I'm excited to be here. I am so happy you are. And I've been so impressed with the athleticism of our guests overall. I mean, for those who have listened to this podcast, I'm I'm always sort of amazed at what people do. But endurance athletics, before we get into anything else, you just got to tell me what that means. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's It's an evolved concept as I have aged. <laughs> I used to run cross country in high school um, and have always sort of been a runner. I then got into CrossFit type workouts and have since had two children. And what I discovered in the kind of transition from one child to the second child was it was immensely harder to find childcare and hours just waned. So I got a Peloton um, and have moved my workouts to you know the dark hours of the early morning, but still really enjoy doing long rides and endurance type um, athletics first. And I think part of it's just because I really appreciate the stamina that endurance athleticism gives you in the rest of your life. That ah. sort of mental hurdle to just keep going um, is useful everywhere. I love it. I love it. I just, um, I got together with my sister-in-law recently and she's gotten a Peloton a number of months ago and she was talking about it. She's always been a competitive runner and now she's just taken to the Peloton and, and I love it. It's, it, it's fantastic. I'm more of a jazzercise girl, but I can really appreciate the stamina that it takes for some of these long rides. Yes. Well, and I like to say the Peloton is, is an enabler. People say it's life changing and I don't think it, it didn't change my life but it allowed me to continue doing the things that I love in, you know, in the time frame that was allotted with my new world. 
Ah, yes, well said. I, I like that. Um, so this is going to be a great conversation. I've recently gotten to know you, Holly, and I know you're thoughtful and perceptive, not only about your sort of career goals, but, you know, corporately as well. So when we began to discuss what we would talk about here, when you talked about sort of skills-based or a strength model approach to careers, I sort of knew instantly I wanted our listeners to to benefit from this. I, that was kind of a unique way that you you presented it. So before we dig into how and why, would you share how you originally approached your career and sort of how you got into the world of high finance? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very non-traditional story, which I I I guess in hindsight I feel like I happened into a strengths-based approach out of necessity. When I went into college, I knew I wanted to study psychology. It's part of the reason why I chose UCLA. They had a great psychology program. And I was convinced that I wanted to be a forensic psychologist. I was going to join the FBI and profile um, serial killers and try and figure out what made them tick. And so one summer in college, I interned in Washington, D.C., and I was working in a law enforcement capacity and I hated it. It was horrible. And I came back from that internship. I think most people go, you know, go into an internship and hope they get a full-time offer. And I came back from my internship in college and realized I do not want to do what I planned on doing. I studied something that I thought about in a very singular way, a boxed-in way, psychology. If you don't want to go get a PhD, you can't be a psychologist. And if I didn't want to join the FBI, what on earth was I going to do with this degree? And so I think there were two key learnings from this moment of maybe confusion or a lack of clarity in my life. The first was that it was really critical for me to understand the actual nature of a job that I sought in my career. So if you think you want to do something, actually understand what that day-to-day looks like, because it wasn't until I realized that in order to be a forensic psychologist, I had to be a law enforcement agent with the FBI first, that I realized actually that's not the career for me. So it it sort of taught me, dig into the details of what the day-to-day looks like. Don't just go after the glamour of a title because that might not actually be how you want to spend your days. The second thing I I had to learn quickly thereafter then was how was I going to translate the psychology background to a new field? And the new field that I discovered that I had not been introduced to um, was financial services. And um, so once I discovered a role in financial services, I felt like I all of a sudden had to find a way to weave a path between my psychology background and the new job, which again, taught me to create a language that allowed me to connect the dots between these two very disparate backgrounds. So I think I happened into a strengths-based way of articulating a career plan out of necessity because I learned that I didn't want to do the job I thought I wanted to do. And then I was left with not having any idea how I was going to do the job I had happened into. So it's kind of roundabout. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think for me, I'd always been asked, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And again, I think I chose also a career without any sort of idea of what it took to be one. I just, I liked the idea of neuroscience. So I was like, well, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon because I love trying to figure out how the brain works and, you know, loved the idea of medicine and, you know, helping people and, and working through, you know, natty problems and things like that. So I was a neuroscience undergrad. And then I took a gap year and did Teach for America actually out at UCLA. And then I discovered medical engineering was actually kind of interesting to me. So I ended up going to grad school for industrial engineering. And it wasn't 
you know, until after I'd actually had a master's <laughs> that I realized that really my love is solving problems and then creating strategies of innovation to solve them. And so that led me to finance and, and wealth management and, and all of those pieces. And I think I re really wish someone had asked me earlier on, like, what do you think you're good at? You know, like, what do you think you want to do every day? And I think I would have said, I want to solve problems. I want to solve puzzles. I want to create glide paths toward solutions. And I'm not sure that neuroscience and you know, neurosurgery would have been what, <laughs> what, you know, logically came out of that. But probably like you, I don't regret the path that I was on. I feel like it actually well suited me for, you know, the work that I did. Do you feel that as well? Like, you know, some of your training at UCLA and the work that you've done kind of has expanded your mind in, in what you do now? Yeah, I mean, so completely. And I think the fallacy is that we assume that in high school, we know what we want to do. Or even when we graduate college, um, I just had no personally no experience with financial services. It wasn't even on my radar when right. I was growing up. And you, you can't study financial services really in college. I mean, there are business degrees and economics degrees, and UCLA didn't even have a business program. It was basically economics and accounting. And so there is no direct path to what I do today that stretches back to a degree in college. And so when I think about it in hindsight, I think everything we study in school leads to a set, a development of a, a way of thinking and a, an awareness of a skill set that is portable to a lot of different industries. And once we start thinking, as you did, about the kind of the portability of what you've learned and the application of trying to solve problems and puzzles, it gives you a whole bunch of industries that you could consider applying that framework and that skill set to. And that in itself is so empowering. Oh, agree. Agree. So how can you help our listeners understand a strength-based approach to career planning? Like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So I think at its core, it rests in the concept that everyone has the opportunity to find their dream job, not just a job that you can do, not a job you're trained to do, or one that you're even good at but like really that job that gets you into a sense of flow that is the reason for getting out of bed in the morning and that's capitalizing on the best of who you are. At its core, I think that is a strengths-based approach to career planning. And so what I think about, when I think about kind of trying to develop a career along this framework, I think it really requires you to be incredibly self-aware of who you are and what you're good at and what gets you out of bed. And I think a really practical way of going about that is to leverage Clifton's Strength Finders. I would say I've been using this type of framework before I discovered the Strength Finders kind of vernacular, but I have found it so helpful and grounding to be able to give me a language to articulate what my particular value add is to an organization and a team. So I think kind of two practical applications for this are one, find your own strengths. And that could be taking a strength finders test, you can diagnostic test, you can order a book on Amazon and take a test online and it will, it will diagnose your strengths for you, but you don't even have to do that. I mean, at your next one-on-one, -on -one, have a conversation with your manager about the strengths they see in you and what do they see you as contributing to the team. That's not the tasks that you complete on a day-to-day -day basis, but like the essence of how you think and what you're contributing to the overall organization. So I think first, how we think about our own career is critical 
And then second, as you're building teams, you are a team leader, you're in the position of influencing others' careers. Think about the strengths and the core skills that are necessary to do the jobs that need to get done and try and hire for the talent that is bringing a diversified skill set or a diversified set of strengths to the team. Uh, Just some examples of this are you might have that futuristic thinker that's really helpful at making sure the team's heading in a direction that is always forward looking, but you also really need the the planners on the team who are going to then be able to translate that futuristic view into like a tangible set of action items that the team can execute against. Two very different mindsets, but both necessary to make sure that the team is moving in a forward looking direction. Right. That does make a lot of sense. So what's really interesting is just a couple episodes back on episode 15, Shanna Weber, she talked about the art of negotiation, did an excellent job, but she actually talked about being a Gallup strengths coach. And I've worked with a strengths coach before, and it was uh, so impactful. I think leading up to that, every time we would go through reviews and I had to review my team, it was always sort of focused on weaknesses, you know, like, (laughs) how do you get better at this? How do you get better than that? And it was so freeing to this have this idea of like, I've got core strengths. If I can really invest in those and expand those strengths, my weaknesses become less impactful to my ability to be productive and successful, you know, within my career. And it was just sort of this like aha moment <laughs> of really understanding that and, and being able to sort of pull back from sort of a weaknesses approach to it. So I do encourage people to listen to Shanna as well on her episode, but maybe get into the little bit more of the nitty gritty. You talked a, a little bit about taking a diagnostic test, but also meeting with your manager or maybe your mentor. What are the types of questions that you could ask to get at what are your strengths? So let me give an example of where this this has changed the entire trajectory of my career, quite frankly. I was a portfolio manager, an equity ETF portfolio manager. And one of my old bosses had moved on to a different part of the organization. He was sitting in a product world. And he called me up one day and said, I think you should join the product team and, and work for me again. And as a portfolio manager, the product organization was just totally outside of the realm of anything that was even on my radar. And it never even occurred to me to consider a job in that part of the organization. And so I asked him why, like, why did he call me up? Because I hadn't done any work that looked anything like a product strategist before. Um, And what did he see in me? And it was funny because I, I think I meant it to be more of a rhetorical question than it ended up becoming. Because what he was able to do was clearly articulate a few key things I had demonstrated in my portfolio management role that he thought that would be really applicable to this product strategist function. So one of the things that he called out is that he could tell I was a learner and I was always looking to understand new things and that I was really driven by having a new and developing understanding of things. And as we were thinking about product strategy, we wanted to be innovating in new and different ways and that desire to constantly learn was going to be really beneficial to the strategic outlook. I also um, was futuristic. So he's like, you're always asking about what's coming next. What are we going to do down the line? That's exactly the kind of thought process that we need to apply to a strategic role. Both of those things in hindsight were particularly useful in the current job I had. As a portfolio manager, you need to just execute the trades on a day-to-day basis, make sure you're managing funds efficiently. But it really wasn't about learning that new things and kind of planning for the future. And so through a few examples like that, he kind of convinced me that maybe I should try this new and different thing. 
And I took kind of a meandering path from that point for, for the next couple of years, but it was the stepping stone that I needed to get me into a job that I absolutely loved. And I never would have made it to that job if I hadn't asked him why. So I think just sitting down with your manager and asking like, how do you see me contributing to the team? What do you think are some of the key skills that I bring that you find useful? And what you may hear are, you're really good at coaching others, or you're really great at keeping us organized, or I love how you ask really thought-provoking questions. Well, I think what you'll be able to pull from the dialogue, it, again, if your manager is responsive to having that conversation, is little tidbits of how you're perceived because how you're perceived might actually be a better reflection of what you're strong at than you'd be able to come up with completely on your own. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I remember having a younger woman on my team and she was doing sort of an executive transfer through a number of the departments within the organization. So I was only going to have her for six months. And so I talked to her in the beginning, you know, what are your career goals? You know, this is a great opportunity to be able to see so many different areas of the company. And I was in running strategy at that point. And she's like, oh, anything but sales. I'm like, oh, okay. So she's like, I hate selling. I hate, you know, I hate this. I hate that, you know, that. But anything else, you know, ask me to do anything else. And then I observed her and she was like, she loved listening to people. She loved talking to people. She's so empathetic to their challenges. She loved like building spreadsheets and having goals and, you know, and I'm like, you're sort of a natural salesperson. But I think her perception of what the job was, you know, like going into a room cold and like trying to get people to buy ice, you know, like it, you know, it was a very different idea of what sales is in our industry. You know, it's really about sort of building those relationships. And she's now firmly ensconced in a, a very fabulous um, sales organization now. But I think it, I think you really hit on it that sometimes it really does take someone from the outside to sort of see how you work. Are you more task-based? Are you more people-based? So I love that. Well, how fortunate you were, Holly, to have a manager who could introduce you to the strengths-based approach. I, I feel fortunate, I think, every day for this refined way of looking at building a career. Patrick, I think, changed my mindset. Actually, probably worth mentioning Patrick O'Connor, who leads ETFs at Franklin Templeton, is the individual who kind of changed the way that I thought about building a career. But I also have seen it in others and in how he has approached um, building his team at Franklin. So I think it's just a part of, of how he thinks about building really dynamic and effective teams. And I know that it is, has changed the way that I think about doing the same. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I think we need to sort of prepare our managers and our leaders as well for asking some of the good questions. Can you help us a little bit with that? Like if someone does sit down and says, you know, what do you see in me? What are some of the types of questions that you might ask someone going into a strengths-based conversation? Yeah, so I had um, I had uh, actually someone who uh, used to report to me, call me up recently, and they were looking to make a career change. And this individual had been in a sales role, and then they were in a product strategist role, so all very client-facing, and therefore their career and the way that they were thinking about it was like, within this domain of familiar, what is the next step for me and how do I keep advancing my career? And when he and I sat down and we talked about what he liked doing, and, and th this is through a number of conversations, not just any one dialogue, because this is a pretty disarming question. And if people are prepared to answer it, I think both if you're a manager asking it of your employee or if you're asking it as an employee of your manager, don't expect that anyone is going to have an answer to this immediately. But through a course of dialogue, what became really clear was that he was really driven passionately 
by people development. He wanted to be a manager, but not necessarily because to be a manager means you have been promoted. Um, it wasn't about kind of career advancement, but it was more, you know, he felt like he could make an impact on other people's careers by being in a position of being able to kind of coach and challenge them. I noticed that he was spending a lot of his volunteer time like that, that that's how he was choosing to allocate time and resources away from the day job I was asking him to do it was all focused on talent development. And so when an opportunity became available for him to join the talent development team and focus on um, shepherding and stewarding the careers of new joiners to the organization, he called me up and asked my opinion about it. And my, my response to him was like, of course, this is exactly what we've been talking about. Like, this is what gets you out of bed in the morning. You were really good at it. It's totally different than what you did before. But if we objectively step back and look at where you enjoy spending your time and where you do your best work, this sounds like a phenomenal fit. And he and I just reconnected after he, he ended up taking the role and we just recently reconnected and he's loving it. I mean, it's a, I, I think it's, it's an ideal role for him in this moment and, and he'll evolve from here in very different ways than he would have if he had stayed in, in kind of more of a client facing function. So I think, I think just having an ongoing dialogue with your employees as a manager and also just stepping back and observing where are they spending their time and how are their contributions different than the contributions of others on the team? I think you'll pretty quickly realize what people are uniquely good at and where their strengths lie. And if you're not good at it, have them take a strength finders test. I mean, there are third party expert views that can absolutely provide more clarity here if it's just not the way that, that you think as an individual. Right. And it's great to be part of an organization, too, that invites people in to do some job shadowing, you know, take a look at what's there. So I, I love that. And I love that you were able to see in him something that maybe he didn't see right away and that you were able to confirm a move for him that was successful. You were talking earlier about also using sort of the strengths-based approach in creating and cultivating teams. Can you take us back to that a little bit and sort of dig into that? Because I think a lot of our listeners are either on teams or are looking to form teams. How do you do that well? Yeah. So I think, I think there are a couple of angles here. One that we haven't touched yet and we probably should just acknowledge is that I think when done well and when done in a very positive light, Determining the individual strengths, whether it's a manager talking with their employees about the strengths they see in them and coming to a common agreement of, do we, do we both agree that this is in fact what you think you're good at and that's what I'm seeing in you and we're all happy with the contributions. In itself, that can be a very empowering view because, Christine, to your point about not focusing on your, your weaknesses, but focusing on your strengths, I think once you're confident that everybody appreciates you for what you think you are uniquely good at, it grants the freedom to also accept that you are just not good at some other things and that others on the team, that can be their towering strength. And I think once people are in a place to kind of free up their mindset, to be willing to acknowledge where they need balance, it can help the team function more cohesively where everybody's bringing their own skill set to the table. So just a, a couple of examples of this on a, a team that I have recently been asked to lead. You know, I have an individual who is a particularly futuristic thinker. I mean, this is the individual that is constantly pushing the team to try new and different things drives a very inspirational mindset. They're counterbalanced by another individual on the team who 
always wants to translate that futuristic view to something incredibly practical. Both of those perspectives are incredibly helpful because they allow us to move forward as a team with a kind of a rigor and a regiment that the futuristic view alone wouldn't ever, but it's not a framework they would ever put around how they're thinking about and articulating things, but also allows us to not get really mired in the details of the day to day. And I think both of these individuals acknowledge and understand that they are two totally different people contributing differently to the team. And I think as a manager, if, if you can have the honest conversations about the strengths that each of the people on your team are providing, you can create that space for them to find ways to work really effectively together, leveraging each other's unique strengths, not focusing on the deficits or the weaknesses of any one individual. Yeah, well said. So I really like how you started that too with talking about confidence, Um, because in that example with this team, you've got someone really focused on the future, you know, really trying to think out of the box. And you got somebody else who's probably good with numbers and good trying to figure out how practically, you know, any of this would work. Both of them have to have the confidence in knowing that those are strengths and that they're not being seen as being less than the other because they're approaching it from a different way. So cultivating those confidences on the team and continuing to cultivate confidence has got to be one of your goals as well as you as you put together a team that have very different strengths, but that are complementary when it comes to to approaching a corporate goal. Yeah, you know, completely. And it's funny, as we're talking here, it reminds me of a story I had with my sister a number of years ago. I remember she was articulating to me what she contributes to an organization. And she described herself as the big picture thinker. Like she's the one that's going to set the strategic direction and decide where we're headed. But then she needs to surround herself with the people that are actually going to find a way to like bring that to life. Um, And she was so confident in her articulation of here's what I do and here's what I don't do that I find to be so empowering because when we can say, here's what I don't do, then we know what we need to look for in compliments for ourselves. So I I didn't touch on it, but perhaps I should, you know, if you have a well-balanced team, then finding ways to bring out each of their strengths, they complement each other is fantastic. But what do you do if you don't have a well-balanced team? I think when you're going to hire for that next position, recognizing like, do I need a person that's going to, you know, get in the spreadsheet and and crunch the numbers and do the work? Or do I need a person that's going to challenge the way that we're thinking because we have too much groupthink? Do I need a person that's going to help bring cohesion and help us build a better team atmosphere because we just don't have a lot of, you know, collegial environment and how we're working together today? Like really thinking about what is that skills-based gap, not just what's the corporate title I'm going to give this person and how many years of experience do they need and what if I want them to study in college? Like all of that I find to be far less useful than are they contributing something unique and different to the team when I think about that next hire. Right. I love that. We had an example of that recently in my career where, you know, we were putting together a brand new product that we were coming out with and there was someone just, you know, incredibly valuable on the team that really just understood sort of the industry in a way that was, you know, helped grounded us on, you know, on all of our ideas. But he wasn't always there, you know, he had other things to do. And his name was Dan. And so I would always, you know, as we were going through things, I would 
always ask the question, I'm like, what would Dan say at this point? <laughs> you know, and I try to like put myself in, you know, I don't have his strength, but you know, it helped me like put some bullets on my page to be like, okay, you know, I don't want to go down too far down this path without having grounded in an area that I don't have the expertise in. So, which then required after the meeting, I would give him a call or, you know, get on an email with him or something like that to actually discover what would Dan do and what, what does Dan think? So, um, (laughs) and I never really put it as sort of a, a strength um, matching issue for our team, but it really was helpful to, to know how each one of us and have the confidence that each one of us brought something very unique to the table. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny, I'm reminded of another kind of best practice, you know, to avoid group think, try and create a board of directors around you that have diverse opinions. And I'm sure we can all relate to, you know, the one thing that you wanted to get advice on and you knew the person you should have called, but you also knew they were going to give you like a really annoying and totally different than your perspective perspective. And like, maybe you just didn't really want to hear their viewpoint because you were just looking for someone to confirm that you made the right decision. Mm. Um, You know, if you think of that person as they're just different than me, And I was told I had to have different thinkers, you know, my board of advisors when I'm making big decisions in life, then it becomes easy to think of that dialogue as a negative. If instead you can think of what that person is contributing that is uniquely different to how you see the world, that is a diversifying perspective, perhaps it can frame it in a more, again, a more empowering way that incentivizes you to call and get that perspective. That's not just different, but it's different for good, very intentional reasons and is a great balance to you. Wonderful. I think you've, you've shared such great insight with us on this topic of, you know, really looking at our career and our teams from a a place of strength. If you could give our listeners one sort of foothold coming off this podcast as to something they could do to sort of start um, this process of looking at themselves from a place of strengths, what is the one thing they could do to, you know, to start implementing a strengths-based approach to their own career? I would start first with doing an assessment. Like I would say, you know, in the, if this is a topic that interests you, go to Amazon when you're done listening to this and order the Strength Finder book and take the assessment when you get it. You don't actually have to read the whole book. The book is basically a description of the strengths that are revealed through the assessment. So it's an incredibly approachable way to do it. If you don't want to invest money in it right now, ask your manager at your next one-on-one to evaluate your strengths and how you contribute to the team. And again, focus it not on, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you create that product roadmap, or I'm happy that you're traveling all the time and having impactful conversations with clients. It's what is the unique value add that you are bringing? You're a great relationship builder. You're incredibly forward thinking. You're organized ask to bring out those skills from your manager. And I think that's just two really clear and tangible next steps that someone trying to embark on this journey could take. I love it. Thank you for that. We have put together something called a Thrive Guide, which is some of the best advice and some of the more interactive and engaging advice that we've gotten from our um, guests on this show. And in that, we'll have an area for sort of this strengths-based approach. We'll summarize some of the things in that book. Um, I do recommend that people who really do want to dig into their own get it. There's a few um, assessments online and things that you can do as well. So we'll have a, a section that really sort of highlights some of the major areas of looking at your own strengths in our guide as well. 
Our last question is so fun for me, mainly because I'm an avid reader and I'm a fiction writer. So I love the idea of ideas and story. I love the idea of whether you're reading or you're listening, you're just being captivated by ideas and thoughts that you know, we can't always come up on our own or even within our ecosystems that, that we live in. So can you tell me something that's inspired you lately? Yeah, I, I wish that I read more, but if I'm totally honest, that's kind of fallen off uh, the bandwagon in recent years, but I'm an avid podcast listener. I will consume tons of content on podcasts while I'm out for runs or now while I'm commuting uh, back to the office. And one that I've recently discovered is called The Drive, and it's by Dr. Peter Atia. And I love it because I, I think because I studied psychology and, and Christine, I didn't mention this, but like you, I, there was a neuroscience component to what I was studying at UCLA. And it's that constant desire to kind of get all of the data, put the pieces of the puzzle together and understand better concepts that are really difficult. I like to sort of simplify complexity. And um, Dr. Atia is focused on longevity and the science of longevity and how that manifests through what we eat, the medicines we take, how we think about athletics and the, the best way to approach um, specifically endurance athleticism. So I have found the topics varied and incredibly enthralling, and they really kind of hit at that data junkie need um, that I might not be getting in my day to day as much anymore. Well, thank you for that. I mean, considering that this is a new podcast for us, um, recommending a podcast is completely appropriate. <laughs> You're our first. Um, so um, thank you for doing that. And and what an amazing science. And I love what you said, you know, trying to simplify the complexity. And that's really a lot of, of what we do in our careers and, and certainly what we're trying to do with these conversations too, and, and helping our listeners to gain benefit from a lot of the experience and, and what we've gone through. So Thank you so much, Holly, for joining me today. This has been such a great conversation. I have really enjoyed it and look forward to uh, to catching up soon. Thank you. Thank you. Me as well, Christine. And I really do hope that everybody walks away on a, on a clearer path to finding their dream job because I do think it's possible for all of us. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Holly. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.